Here on the Appalachian homestead, ancient mountains surround us. If you listen closely, you can hear the whispers of ancestral wisdom echoing through the peaks and valleys that surround us. Welcome to the Appalachian Homestead Podcast. If you're new here, we live in our house. We don't record in a studio, so you may often hear things that you don't typically hear in other podcasts, and that's because we have puppy dogs. We have kids. Our house is old, and sometimes it just makes noises. That's life. Today, we'll be joined by our friend Allison Toole, who is a pharmacist and an herbalist. We're going to talk about the safety of herbs, her new makeup line, and more. The Appalachian Homestead podcast, and this is Allison Toole. Allison is a pharmacist and an herbalist. Hello. And she's Thank you for having she's me. Fantastic. You're fantastic. So, well, so are you. We- we talked a little bit uh, just a few minutes ago, and we decided what we were going to talk about for this podcast, and the first order of business is we need to talk about your makeup line. Okay. I love to talk about makeup these days. Um, it's it's a new thing that um, came into my life that I didn't know I could love so much. I'm thinking that it has a little bit to do with the spirit of my grandmother coming through me because she was an amazing artist, um, and I'm seeing my more seeing her more and more in myself every day um, and so it is a natural makeup line it uses minimal high quality products it is only a month old so it is new and I'm you know slowly rolling out uh, all the requests you know people love their makeup so there are a lot of different requests and I don't have everything yet but you know, in due time, but I think if anyone wanted to take a look at it, they might find something that they like, but it is really fun. Um, I add rosehip extract or olive leaf extract to certain powders, um, so I, it has a, an herbal side to it, and you didn't, and before I really began studying, you know, minerals also have medicinal properties they've been used through time so if you put zinc in a powder and you put the zinc on your face it's a natural um, sunscreen type product Um, and it also helps with hydration um, and holding uh, and with oils uh, on your face too so it's quite quite the science so right and zinc is actually and I just know this from experience zinc I don't know if it's the same Top or if there's different types of zinc, but it's really good if you have acne. So it's really anti-inflammatory. That is really true, um, and that is something that I, you know, being a pharmacist, I hadn't really seen used in a lot of the products that I had recommended over the years. Um, and so I do have a zinc powder. Uh, I've been using it for my son. He he would kill me um, if he knew I was saying this, but he puts on a little bit at night. You know, he's 15 years old, and it ha- and it helps because it is anti-inflammatory and it helps absorb the oils. Um, so, yeah, it's a, wow. it's amazing how many things 
that the world has given us, the earth has given us, that we can use in a, medici in a medicinal way, whether it be um, internally or externally. Right. I have an 18-year-old daughter, you know, B. So she is, um, she's acne prone and she has all these problems. You can hear my dogs going off. And that's okay because this isn't a perfect podcast. <laughs> we live in our house, right? Yes, we do. And you might hear my husband working downstairs. And um, so I apologize for that because he wasn't working until, of course, we started. <laughs> right. Well, that's just this is just part of life here. It doesn't matter what we do or how well we think we're managing. We always end up with noise in our podcast. But so I have an 18-year-old daughter and... Zinc turned out to be the absolute best thing to happen to her. We started using uh, bee sunflower, which is, is it chickpea flower? Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah, so we started using that for her, and it made a huge difference. And so we've stuck with the zinc, and it's it's that and moisturizing has been amazing. And speaking of moisturizer, your cleanser and your toner and your primer together are amazing they it is perfect i don't typically use a toner i don't really typically like a toner because i find most toners to be over drying but yours isn't right a lot of times that's because people it, it depends on what you put in the base and you just have to be really careful um, not to put so much of like the alcohol. Sometimes people like to use like the witch hazels, the alcohol. Um, if they're just using the hydrosols, sometimes they don't really know how to use the preservative system in that. So that's where you often get the drying effect. Right. Well, yours is spot on. It does not dry me out. It does soothe me and it just makes my skin feel so wonderful. I love it. And I love your well, mascara. We've talked about that over and over. <laughs> well, thank you. I really appreciate it, it. It's been fun. It's been fun. It is amazing. And so to find Allison's makeup line, you go to truthgirl.com. Yes. And I'm at Truth Inner Glow on Instagram and um, also on Facebook at this time. And also you're under... At Frog Creek, Frog Creek Farms Apothecarian. Yes, that is um, my farm account where I show all of the endeavors on the farm. <laughs> and this is just another one of those endeavors. We love it. We love it. <laughs> okay, so now pharmacist and herbalist. Yes. Let's talk about the safety of herbs. So. I think it yesterday, was it yesterday that our friend Nikki shared a post with us that had a list of herbs that the original poster basically said, you can't overdose with these herbs. And here's a list of, and it was quite a long list of herbs that you can't go wrong with and that can't hurt you even if you do three times the dosage, which was really quite surprising because some of them, they won't kill you, but they certainly can make you not feel good if right. you do too much. Um, so when we were talking earlier, I said, you know, just because you don't 
is that you can't really overdose this. It doesn't mean it can't hurt you. Right. Yeah. And you were saying, you were saying, you know, even water can hurt you. Right. Even water can hurt you. And, you know, this is, I've walked in this middle world for many years now where, um, you know, I, I know about what we consider uh, Western medicine, and I have learned a lot about herbal medicine. And one thing that I've always tried to um, talk about with people is both of them contain the word medicine. And so anytime that you're looking at any quote-unquote medicine that you are going to take, that those are the eyes that you need to look through just because it is an herb doesn't mean that it can't potentially be harmful or depending on your particular body, disease state, other medicines, um, it, it may, you know, be harmful to you. And maybe harmful is a, a heavy word, but maybe not the best. Like you might have to use it in a way that is good for you to use it. Um, but just blanket statements are always something to be wary of. Absolutely. So on this list, and you and I talked about it a little bit, on this list is calendula, dandelion, nettle, oat straw, elderberry, elderflower, raspberry leaf, lavender, alfalfa, plantain, comfrey, mullein, ginger, turmeric, astragalus, and berry. So right off the bat, I had commented to you, you know, elderflower is pretty benign, but if you're a beginner forager, for instance, if that might be your one and only mistake you ever make because it could be the last mistake you make because yeah. elderflower can look like the very toxic hemlock flower to an untrained eye. Yes. And people are so excited, and I love seeing the excitement of herbs and plants and flowers, you know, that that's just reverberating around the globe pretty much everywhere. I'm seeing it, and, you know, I love that. Um, but with that comes practice, and it doesn't mean that you can't get there, but it doesn't mean that everybody is there yet so you you have to keep that in mind too uh like you were saying if you're foraging um it may be safe you may think what you have chosen that to be is what it is and it may not be so that was one that we talked about was elderflower and misidentification um we also both jumped out to us comfrey oh goodness so comfrey can actually hurt your liver it right. can, it can, and you know, a lot of um, people go back and forth on this because the original data that came out was, you know, it was a a trial, and um, you know, it was high doses, and it was isolated compounds, um, so that and that people had used it forever and ever. Um, so why do we need to be afraid of it now? Well, um, several things. You know, there's different, um, There's, you know, the wild comfrey that people took forever is different than the comfrey that 
sometimes we're seeing in our gardens. And the um, pyro, I haven't said this in a long time, pyrolizidine alkaloids, um, you know, so they're different from between the different species. Those were the alkaloids that shown to potentially harm the liver. And I think I heard it best from um, my herbal teacher, Juliet, when we were out and, you know, she doesn't take, um, she does not use comfrey orally because of this. And her teachers, Michael Moore and Rosemary, also did not because of that, um, because it may not be the same species that were originally um, in all the recipes in the past. And two, why risk it when there's other things that you can take? So, Absolutely. Yeah. So we have used comfrey topically and sparingly, even, topic, even topically. But I have never taken it internally. And that I know of, my grandmother never took it internally. It was like something you would make a poultice of occasionally, not every day. Right. Occasionally. If you had like a really bad bruise or a pulled muscle, which wasn't something that happened three or four times a day, you know? Right. I used it on, um, my son broke something, I forget what it was, but, you know, I made a poultice out of it and put it on, I think it was his ankle. He's had, he's had several accidents, so I'm not remembering which one, but besides the point, um, you know, we made a poultice and uh, put it on him, much to his dismay, but it, you know, it did work, and uh, once he saw that it was working, he complained less that I was trying to do it. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So we don't take it internally either. We do it topically. You do it topically. And I feel like topically it's okay occasionally, don't you? Oh, yes. I would say so. And also, unless you're allergic. Yeah, unless you're allergic. And also you have your history of your family that has shown you how to use it. And then I have the history of the teachers that I've had that have passed down um their you know their oral and um and their practice that they do so i think between all of the teachers we had that if we were still supposed to be taking that internally we would have learned that oh i think so i think so i think that's absolutely the case here and so I personally do not recommend to take it internally, and I guess you don't either. I do so not. So that's one on that list that jumped straight out. But another one that jumped straight out to me was, you know, turmeric. It can thin the blood. Yes. That's not something that you can just willy-nilly around with, especially if you're already taking, say, uh, aspirin therapy and you're on a baby aspirin every day. Right. Or if it's, if you're more seriously, if you're taking warfarin or Coumadin or anything like that, or if you have already an existing blood clotting disorder. Right. Or, you know, you and I, we have a um, friend who's a dentist and a farmer. And yeah. I know that she has put that on her questions on intake because she has had um, several, yeah. I, you know, I don't speak dentist, but I know that there are more intense um, mouth procedures where someone has been on that. Otherwise, 
you know, no other alarm bells would have come out to her about anything. Um, and she's had profuse bleeding that she's had a hard time stopping. That is absolutely true. So anytime you're doing an extraction, if um, a person is on a thinner, they need to discontinue that several days in advance. It's possible. Right. You know, some, sometimes things happen. You get a tooth knocked out. You weren't planning on that. You end up with a root that's still in the gum, and you have to have it have it elevated and extracted, and there's just no choice there. But if it's planned, then you need to do that. You need to right. continue it. And turmeric will be included in those thinner ones. Um, and Shazanderberry. And I ask you this, and I'm not sure that I'm right, but I think Shazandra also is yeah. a thinner or interacts with thinners. Yeah, it does. And I had a moment to look in my natural database um, just to double check our memory on this. And um, so Shisandra is metabolized by our liver um, and it has uh, what we in the pharmacy world call um, a large first pass in the liver. Um, and when anything has a large first pass in the liver, you have a, a large potential for drug interactions with other medicines that have that same first pass. So we watch for um, that, but one of those drugs is warfarin. So um, it does, uh, if you're going to take Cassandra and then you're on warfarin, that is something to watch out for because it is going to interfere with warfarin. Right. I knew there was something to do with clotting drugs or clotting. I just, sometimes you have so much stuff stored in the brain upstairs that you just, you know, there's something and you know, you better check, but you can't just pull it straight out. Um, no, you can't. <laughs> yeah. And the other one that we talked about was, and another one just jumped out at me was alfalfa, but raspberry leaf. You know, raspberry leaf is really benign. It's, yes. It's pretty mild acting. But in this particular post, she said, it doesn't matter whether you take, you know, 10 drops or 30 drops of tincture or whether you drink one cup or three cups of tea. And for the most part, that's, mostly true for most people that's where you get into it are you one of most people right if if you routinely suffer with constipation you're not most people and raspberry tea three cups in a single day would constipate you for days yes yes certainly 30 drops of tincture would probably do the same if not a little worse I agree, and it, I'm giggling because I remember a story um, from one of my herbalist friends that they were trying to fly back from a certain country, um, and they had gotten, you know, um, a stomach sickness, and they couldn't miss their flight, and so that's exactly what they did. I just remembered this story. They, quote-unquote, took a whole lot of extra of um, raspberry leaf, and they were able to make it through their flight. I'm sure they were because raspberry leaf pulls raspberry leaf is cooling it naturally slows down the digestive system so if you're having diarrhea this is a great one you know reach for the raspberry leaf tea Um, and there's a couple of other things you know like menstrual cramps and things like that that this is really good for and it is I do feel like one of those what do we call them grads generally recognized as safe but that and it's not grass for all people, grass for right. most. 
and you have to know if you are most. You do. And, I mean, I just, I think any time that we say herbs, you know, we say natural, sometimes that comes across as also feeling like you can say safe all in the same word. Um, But I, you know, I go back to my original statement. I just, I think any time we say those things, you also need to say medicine and then just realize like it can be a medicine, especially when you start to take more of it. Um, And you and I are not talking about a leisurely cup of tea. You know, we're talking about intentional use. And yeah, we're um, talking about uh, more than a tea bag. We're talking, you know, tablespoons of herb. If you're talking about a tea, or you know, depending on whatever it is, it could be a tablespoon, or it could be less than that. Because some herbs are much stronger than others. Right. Yeah. So you know, you and I have talked about it before, but I think we just feel so drawn to making sure that people don't forget that. Just because it's natural doesn't mean it's safe. Um, And it very possibly could be safe. And, you know, it's just keep that in your mind. And just these blanket statements are something that you and I go back and forth on a lot. Because they. And not to breathe fear. Not to breathe fear. Absolutely. Right. You should learn about herbs and you should know how to use them. Mm hmm. Sorry, I just took a drink of water. I was losing my voice for a second. <laughs> um, yes, you know, herbs are for the people. I love the fact that more and more people are loving herbs and are incorporating them in their lives. You know, I, I think the better we feel as people, the nicer we are to our friends and communities and to to our planet. I mean, I think it's the way to go. Um, I will also preface that with, I know some people have to take non-herbal medications and sometimes they get a lot of flack for it and I, and you know, I'm always a safe place for that and they shouldn't feel bad for, for medicines that are quote unquote Western medicines. Um, they're not any less of a person than someone who's not. Um, there are many medicines that help many people in, in different ways. Uh, but to come back Absolutely. to our point. Yeah, sorry, I just had to say that because, you know, I get DMs all the time, you know, like I'm on this medicine, I hate taking it, it makes me feel better, but I hate that it's not natural, there's something that I can can exchange it for, and, you know, I I deep dive with these people, um, and we visit sometimes how they were feeling prior to that, and their quality of life is better, and sometimes there could be something that they could exchange it for or we could work on um, diet and exercise. But oftentimes, you know, one, they're feeling better, but then sometimes these medicines are, you know, they are changing these people's lives and they're actually, you know, stopping their heart from expanding and growing bigger uh, so that they don't go into heart failure. Now, that's really an important thing. So... Right, controlling atrial fibrillation, insulin for type 1 diabetics. There's several things that you just can't replace. Right. And, you know, I come from a family full of medicine, and I don't mean like people who take medicine. I mean doctors, nurse practitioners, PAs as well. 
And so I'm not against Western medicine. In fact, I think Western medicine is a wonderful tool. Is it, often, is it often overprescribed? Yes, most. And I hate to point fingers at pediatricians, but a lot of times pediatricians will reach for the prescription pad for a Z-Pack, for instance. Um, anytime a child has a fever and it's a, like not a definitive origin, you know, Right. Like, for instance, my little niece, just for the last 10 days, she has had a fever of 101 and 102 every day. But her white blood cell count's fine. They still wrote her a Z-pack, even right. with no indication of a bacterial infection. And antibiotics are just, they're not for a virus, an adenovirus is going around, and it comes with a 10-day fever, you know? Right. Yes. And that's where having other tools in the tool belt is so wonderful and um, important. And this is the important part of our Western medicine is we aren't given that training to pull other tools out of the tool belt at those times. And two, you know, we have the whole problem about what they're allowed to say will work. So, you know, we have things to work on. Um, Definitely. And the and the what we're allowed to say is a big part of it because insurance companies, not just their malpractice insurance companies, but health insurance companies who are treated well by pharmaceutical companies mm-hmm. and the yeah. lobby and and all of these other things play a huge role. That and the yeah. fact that they're just not taught some of these things in medical school. Right. Because they, unfortunately, it's been taught to be untrue more than true. You know, some of my original training, um, I was at UNC Chapel Hill for undergrad, and I had, you know, biology, chemistry, and then I had a, a huge component of botany, too, because, you know, I'm just always, I can't just do one thing. I'm like, oh, I have to do it all. But, um but what I loved about that is that I was taken to this part of campus that was the side of the arboretum behind the, this old building. And the professor that was teaching it, he had been um, around the university for a long time. He just did this class, you know, kind of like as a retirement class. And he said, this was the old medical building. This was the old medical garden. And so the physicians of the time were actually taught medicine from that garden. And that just, that really got me on my journey to pharmacy because I wanted to see, you know, how it all, like, how did you get from that to here? And there are, there are, there are ways you can go on that journey. Um, and you can see how the medicine got from one place to the other, but unfortunately a lot of it was lost. So. Absolutely. And, you know, because I come from a line of granny women, midwives, um, and only one of those actually, and Annie, went on in, I think it was like the 1950s or 60s, and she was way up there in her years already, older than I am right now even, (laughs) and I'm 40. So when she actually tested and became one of the first actually licensed midwives in the state of Virginia. Now, prior to that, they weren't licensed. They simply 
understudied or what am I looking for? Apprenticed. Yeah, apprenticed. Apprenticed under a doctor. And then they were allowed to practice in their communities and be the community doctor. Um, and part of that was knowing things like where's the yellow root growing? Where's the wild mint? Um, cultivating certain herbs, you know, and being able to just literally run out into the yard of a sick person's home and grab up a weed and know how to use that as medicine for them. Yes. And it, I mean, that is just the beauty of it. Uh, that just is, that creates so much passion inside of me. Um, and that's what I love. Uh, I just think uh, herbs are wonderful. Herbs are wonderful. They're a fantastic tool to have, but we always have to remember that mortality rates were much higher. Western medicine is not the enemy, and there is a place for both. There is. Um, there's a fine balance, and I just have to say I just love seeing the videos of your Aunt Annie and just her stories, you know, and I'm so glad you captured that and we get to share and and see what she, like, she did it. You know, I heard stories through, you know, my professor and then through my my um, teachers, but you you actually have shared stories of someone who, who did that. She was on the that journey from where people were using just the herbs and then she saw the medicines. And I just think it's so wonderful that you captured that. So thank you. She was an amazing person. She truly was. She actually delivered my dad. Uh, oh, so really? she was still delivering. Yeah, she didn't actually retire until 19, I want to say 70. And so dad was born in the 50s. So well before he was, well before she retired, he was born. Uh, my mother actually asked Aunt Annie to deliver my brother. And she said, no, I retired. <laughs> she was, no, I retired. Um, so I'm finished with that part of my life. She was well into her 80s when my brother was born. Uh, she was nearing 100 years old when she passed away. And I was a big girl by then. And she was just one of those people that, and she would tell me stories of her mother and her grandmother who had done this before her. Not just me, but all the girls, nice. all the cousins, you know, and my mother and my grandmother. And it was amazing to listen to, and it was very informational, and it was things that we kind of tucked away into our hearts. And and then as we grew, we knew what to do for ourselves most of the time if we were right. sick. So it was it was that was an amazing part. Um, but herbs have always been part of my life and and a passion of mine too. And so seeing my nieces and nephews become doctors. Uh, and still retaining that knowledge and understanding how to do both has been just a huge point of pride for me. I'm sure that, you know, your ancestors are probably just like, if they could see you now, they, this would be a huge point of pride for them that you're doing both as well. I think it's a very important place to be. Um, and I hope that by us having these conversations, we're able to make people feel more comfortable about having those conversations, not only with their healthcare providers, but between each other and um, not being so negative to people who decide to do one or the other at certain times in their lives. Yep. Or both. 
Right. Yeah. And But one important thing, and I think Allison would agree here, is if you're going to use any herbal remedy whatsoever, you should always consult your physician and your pharmacist. Because even if your physician doesn't really know all that much about it, your pharmacist has the resources and at least some knowledge of these herbal things. They should. And if, you know, and if they're not willing to research, and that's the one thing that, pharmacy school taught us you like I think you touched on it earlier you're not going to remember everything all the time at once but one of the big parts of our training you and me both is we know where to go look quickly to you know touch up the things that you know the finer points that maybe we're not remembering at that moment pharmacists can do that and if you don't if you have a pharmacist who's not willing to take their training and apply it I'm not telling um, you that you need to go find a new pharmacist, but I would be, I would think about that deeply um, because whether or not they won't believe it, they have the resources to find information for you and they know how to absorb it and regurgitate it in a way that should be applicable to your disease state. Right. So, Right, and we don't mean Google. We do Correct. not mean Google, and we don't even necessarily mean NIH because, you know, some published studies are just junk. And pharmacists and people who are trained in research know how to weed through the junk to find the gold. Yes. And, you know, we hopefully a lot of us have access to databases that give us the full trial and and um, a lot of literature um, that sometimes you can't just find when you're Googling as well. Um, and yes, you know, um, as much as it pains me to remember some of these classes, um, I did do a lot of statistics classes and everything like that, so I know how to read the studies and um, I understand the numbers that they're giving um, and I know what data they brought into, the tr into that trial. Um, and so, so I might say, oh, you know, well, this is, good, but it was all 20-year-old healthy individuals, so does wow. it apply to my 65-year-old patient on um, heart medication for AFib? No, but I might say, okay, there wasn't any side effects, so could I potentially use it in that patient? Mm, maybe, but I'm going to look at one more or two more items to see what I find. So. Right. That's what your pharmacist should do for you. That's what your pharmacist should be doing. And Correct. if not, think about another pharmacist because that is right. truly their work is to help to guide you in the medicine world as far as consumable medications, whether herbal or Western, that you're putting into your body. Correct. And I would also add, you know, as with any health industry at the moment, um, they're under a lot of, you know, I don't want to say the word stress, but, you know, they, they have a lot to do at every single moment. So giving them the information and saying, do you mind to research this for me um, and giving them a little bit of time is, is, of course, if it's not like you have a sick kid and you need this medicine right now, if it's something that um, could be a couple of days to give them a chance to research would be really helpful. Right. That ginseng tincture that's sitting on your shelf can wait. Exactly. 
Exactly. Give them a little bit. All right. Well, I think you have a foraging hike to go on. And yes. I need to get out and do a little foraging myself so that we can both have a little bit of medicine for the pollening that is about to happen in our area. Yes. And thank you very much for having me on your podcast. I love everything that you teach and everything that you talk about. Well, and I thank you for being on my podcast. And we're going to do this again in a few weeks and talk about a totally different thing. Allison is one of my favorite people. I love her. She's my sister from another mister just down the mountain. Yes. Well, back at you up the mountain. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We'll talk to you later, later, Allison, and I'll get this podcast out to the masses later this evening. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. You can find the Appalachian Homestead on their website at AppalachianHomestead.org. On Instagram, at the Appalachian Homestead. On YouTube, In the search bar, type the at symbol, the Appalachian Homestead.